Today's podcast is brought to you by The Power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more at thepowerofa.org. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. Sometime soon, President Obama will select a nominee to replace the late Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court. What happens after that is unclear. Senate Republicans who control the confirmation process have vowed not to consider the nomination in an election year. Many insiders expect the position to remain vacant until early next year. This is Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ legal affairs reporter Todd Ruger to help us game out some of the possibilities. Todd, let's start with some names. The president is said to have narrowed down the pick to three finalists, three appellate court judges. Who are they? Well, Obama is looking for an appellate court judge because he wants somebody that is qualified for this position. He doesn't want the Republicans to be able to attack somebody as as not having enough experience or education to do this. So what he's looking at are three appeals court judges, which are pretty much the best preparation you can get to be on the Supreme Court. The first one is Merrick Garland, who's the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit. Uh, So he's a longtime appellate judge right here in what is considered to be the second level Supreme Court because they deal with environmental issues and uh, business issues of broad scope nationwide. And uh, then there's Sri Srinivasan, who sits on that same court with him. He got there in 2013. And then there's Paul Watford. He's on the Ninth Circuit out in California, and he's been on there for just a few years. And in each of these, you have different advantages and disadvantages. But um, Srinivasan would be the first Asian-American justice on the Supreme Court. Uh, Watford is an African-American, so the first black president could put the third ever African-American justice on the court. Now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the Senate Judiciary Chairman Charles Grassley say there won't be hearings. In that event, does the nomination expire at some point, or does it linger even if there's a new president? It would expire at the end of the Senate. Uh, And this has happened several times to Obama's judicial nominees up until this point, because the Senate will uh, go out of session, and that automatically returns all the judicial nominees to the White House, and then he has to re- submit those. So if they let it expire at the end of the Senate, the next president would be the one who would have to either resubmit this person, this nominee, or let the uh, pick somebody new to do it. Now, because the Senate term and the Supreme Court term don't exactly line up, a delay confirming a nominee could actually cover two separate Supreme Court terms. I'm just curious, would justices start putting off hearing cases if they think that's going to happen and they think that those cases would end in a 4-4 split? Well, you've, you've had two Supreme Court justices talk about this already. Uh, Alito said, we're just going to be able to do our job. And Breyer, Justice Breyer, also said that. So you have the, the justices themselves saying business will go on. Now, the, there's some talk about whether this is already affecting their decisions because they haven't accepted any new cases since Justice Scalia's death, which is a question of are they having problems coming up with cases that they want to take or are they... Uh, just not taking cases that they don't think that they can decide or or have they just not figured it out yet. And so uh, I think the business of the court will go on and they will do it. But there's a question about how much it's affecting it. 
Now, delaying or not holding hearings seems like a very risky political proposition for the Republicans. Democrats point out there have been other election year high court nominations that went through. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there was uh, Justice Kennedy was his vote was in an election year. And there are other times that they go back. But senators on both sides have been quoting history in this argument, sometimes all the way back to the Civil War. And so when you think about the politics of today, it doesn't really make that much sense. And uh, all of that is, is basically just set aside because this is a unique situation that really hasn't happened before at a time in a country that, where there is more politicized Senate. And so you, you say, well, precedent here doesn't really make much difference. Although you do have Senator Lindsey Graham, who on Thursday said at a committee hearing that we are going to be setting precedent. He agrees with the Republican strategy, but just sort of said that it kind of stinks that this is what it's going to be and worried that it might make the court more political in the future. Now, Obama has the most Supreme Court picks since Ronald Reagan, the spiritual father of the modern conservative movement. Is there some sort of a symmetry or a pendulum swing or what have you in a progressive like Obama now being able to influence the composition of a third of the court? Uh, yes, there is. There was uh, a time when there were a lot of conservatives in a row, or conservative appointees put on the court in a row. And then you have, now you have uh, Obama having potentially third. It's not as important the number as who he's replacing, because Justice Scalia was a solid conservative and had been for nearly three decades. If Obama replaces that vote with a somewhat liberal vote, it's going to shift the entire court to the left, particularly because it was, it had been basically a conservative court with Kennedy being a swing vote. And here you might have uh, five liberals and four conservatives and, and make Kennedy less of a swing vote. So it, it could potentially shift the, the court for decades. Now, when a name is announced, there's going to be a lot of attention to the nominee's presumed views on abortion, on civil rights. There's always a handful of issues that get great attention. Looking at cases the court actually chooses to hear, is that really a good barometer or are there unsettled areas of case law that they may consider in the years ahead? Well, there's always unsettled case law that they're going to be considering in a lot of different areas. The abortion stuff is one of those politicized areas, but that they are actually hearing cases. And the, the case that they're deciding this year doesn't necessarily mean the end of abortion litigation or, or laws. This is going to continue going. But one, one of the things that they look at are, are sort of the issues that drive a wedge between the two parties. When you look at what the court might be doing in the future that might be important is environmental law. Obama's big clean power plan and uh, other things are going back up to the, the, the court. And this, this particular justice might, might be able to sway and keep those, those regulations in where in a 4-4 court it might not do that. And so it, environmental, I would say, campaign finance laws, election laws, voting rights. It's all, uh, all of, you know, voter ID stuff. It's all going to be part of that. CQ legal affairs reporter Todd Ruger on President Obama's next pick for the Supreme Court. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Today's podcast was brought to you by the power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more 
at thepowerofa.org.